Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. Okay, everybody, welcome to our little podcast that, that uh, emanates here from West Point, Mississippi. In emanates. The, in the Gamekeeper Studio. The Mecca. Yeah, well, we're excited. There's just a lot going on in West it Point right now. It is a right busy now. time of year right now. we got the foxhole shootout coming up, food plotting season, waiting on rain. Have you seen any rain in the forecast, Tyson? Just talk, talk about something else. Uh, <laughs> I'm, like thinking, I'm getting on his nerves already. Yeah. Well, Burn permits. Well, we look, Burn permits. We look around right. the room. Toxie looks like he's uh, dropped a sucker in the sand. Uh, we're looking over here, Matt's fact <laughs> checking. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Matt's gonna be fact checking us today. Lanny's got a big smile on his face. Yes, sir. Yes, I do sir. now. That was funny. Uh, yeah. Dudley's got a smile on his face, and we've got Dr. Michael Chamberlain through the magic of the internet in and the house. I think he's in Athens, Georgia. I am, and I already am. bow hunting. Kind of jealous. Yes. Mm. Yes, I already have a doe hanging. So. Oh man, meat on yeah. the table, and that gets me fired up. When did your season start, Mike? This past Saturday. You made quick wow. work of it. Yeah, like, he did. You know that first yeah. doe of both season is always a benchmark. That for me, it is. Well, I bet you have to move fast over there with the temperature like it is. Get the guts out of her. Get her hung up. Yeah, it was. It was almost ninety Saturday. So. Mm. Um, thankfully when she came out, it was pretty late. So she only laid there a few minutes before we were able to, it was time to climb down anyway and slide and in the get, back her, of the get her processed and get her hung in the cooler. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough this time of year. Mm. Well, Mike, it's tough to enjoy it in some ways. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's so hot. It's so humid, but it's time to hunt. So, you know, yeah, you mad at him. I know that. Gotta go. My freezer <laughs> starting to get a little low. So I was I was seeing back straps as she approached. There's no question. That's the only thing I can see. Do you have any elk left from you know, this basically this time last year, you and I were in Colorado. You've killed a mm-hmm. giant bull. You got any meat left? I I do. I don't have a lot of backstrap left. We've we've plowed fast. through that pretty quickly. I I think I have five or six packs left, but if you were, you may not remember, but I made the, I made the tactical era of getting, um, some sausages made. And, and then I just told Dave, the guy, just have them do the rest in burger. Uh, and that was a, that was a critical 
mistake. Do you have to buy a new chest freezer? Lots of burger. Yes. Yes. I think I had 118 packs of burger. And we're down to about 80 now. So, you you know, you you kind of do the math. We're eating, we've eaten a lot of elk burgers in in the past year. It's so good. It is so good. It's so good. Yeah. So good. Mike, how many times a week would you say you eat some kind of venison? Oh, I'd say at least twice. Yeah. Average is good because. Yeah, I'd say at least twice, probably closer to three times a week. We we consume venison in some form. Landy, what about I you? think the Wallaces think, are about the same. Yeah, I'm a two and a half to three times a week uh, on, on venison, for sure. Yeah. Just made a big pot of venison meatballs this weekend. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. Still eating on those. Hey, look, yeah, if, we, if grass-fed is the key to living a long life, I mean. Boom. You need more grass fed than venison. <laughs> there's a there's a video this that by the time this podcast drops will, will be released and it's uh it's the kind of the story of that hunt, uh, the story of uh of, of kind of your life in the last I guess two years you would say, mm-hmm. uh, Mike. But I I would encourage people to go watch that. It's called One Step at a Time, and Mossy Oak will be putting it out. It'll be all over the social medias there. It's uh it's very powerful. It is. It is. Just saw, uh, I saw a comment from Mr. Bill Sugg. It was on the list, and he had just commented back. Bobby had routed that to a few of us, and he said, in his opinion, the most kind of power, most powerful and meaningful and authentic thing that we may have ever done in 35 years. So I would echo that. It's really, yeah, really, really good. Yeah, that was a, that was a, it was an interesting week in a lot of ways, for sure. Um, I don't know if you, I'm sure you remember Bobby, but it was miserably hot out yep. there. Yep. And just uh, the combination of just the physical, you know, wear and tear of that hunt and the mental, emotional, I mean, it was, a, it was an, in a lot of ways, it was just a, a truly, I mean, it was a one time, you know, once in a lifetime experience. Um, yeah. And of course I got to, I got to fill that freezer up, which, um, you know, like I said, I'll be eating elk meat for at least burger for probably at least another year. If not more. <laughs> um, That's a good thing. Yeah, that is, is a good thing. That is. Well, it, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's hard for all of us to talk about it, but I would yeah. highly encourage anybody to, to find it on the Mossy Oak socials. Maybe it'll be on the Mossy Oak go app, but I, I think if you just type in one step at a time, you'll be able to find this thing and watch it. It's really good. It's about 20 minutes long. Uh, there are things in place by Dr. Chamberlain and some more people supporting him that care a lot to do some really important things uh, in Austin's name going forward. And so I would encourage people to, um, pay attention pay to that. attention yeah. to that coming yeah i'm glad yeah, you said that for sure yeah because it's for sure uh, it's coming it's coming and and yeah. you know it's one thing i watch him do that in honor of his soulmate just like he called it but even if you park that on the side these are really for lack of a better word cool and creative and very meaningful initiatives and they're tailored because of what he says austin would want but at the same time, in today's world, it's stuff that can really make a difference from people that really would need that, too. So um, more to come. You'll see stuff being done. 
in honor of Austin. I just want to be sure and kind of earmark people to when they see it, they know what we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Thank you for, for sure. <clears throat> yep. So moving moving on, um, I just wanted to give a shout out. Uh, you know, there's a guy that I have said from day one, I would love to have him be on our podcast, Hank Williams Jr. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he got married this past weekend. Oh, wow. And uh, Really? He, he mm-hmm. did. Well, and, congratulations, uh, Hank. He got married at the bank at the at the Enon Baptist Church in Banks, Alabama, which is right where I grew up down in that part of the world. And I that's why I kind of want to have him on as a guest at some point. Is I've all my life heard about this hunting property that he had down there near below Montgomery, above Troy, that was just incredible. And I mean, I'm talking about this goes back. 35 or 40 years. He's trying to get another turkey hunt. Yeah, he? he is. <laughs> exactly so, what he's trying to do. You know, I got to, to be, I still <laughs> could, could call him, you know, but I'll text him back and forth and Kid Rock, you know, he was doing the Mossy Oak piano and everything oh, for yeah. a while there. Long, but anyway, yeah. he had bought his place border hikes. Yeah. And asked us to send Mossy Oak. He did the vinyl around an entire, two entire trailers. And did the vinyl mossy oak around the yeah, whole entire? Yeah, he lives entire, in a. He got a, a mossy double wide, a mossy oak yeah. double wide. Yeah, that's what, like what uh, TK and Mike said. When you duct tape two singles together, it makes it a double wide. <laughs> yeah, I was I was flipping through the wedding photos, and uh, one of Hank's trucks is completely covered in our camo mm-hmm. as well. How about that? Yes, sir. Well, we sh- I would. You know, I, I know we all would would love to have him as a guest. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Maybe we one can day. got something to hope. Are you for. calling him out, Bobby? I'm no. not calling him out. Oh, Both be secrets. careful. He probably doesn't appreciate you being called out. No, right I'm not though. calling him out. I'm inviting. Him. There you I'm go. Calling, I'm <laughs> inviting. Him. And, and we'll come to you, Hank. That's yeah. great. <laughs> uh, another one of my musician friends got. Well, not friends. Uh, I wish he'd be my friend. Acquaintance. I, I, I follow him as uh, Billy Strings, a.k.a. William oh. Apostle. He got married this weekend as well. Wow. So yeah. congrats. He's been wearing if some of those bottom have pants. Yeah, if you yeah. hadn't ever watched him and his group. He's it's, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, Michael, I want to tell you, because you probably hadn't heard this, and the rest of our listeners now – the LS Bottomland Camo Tractor is out there. Gonna be on the scene. I can't wait to get ours. Can you believe it? A camo tractor. A mossy oak camo bottomland tractor. And there's gonna be one at LS dealers across the country. Yeah. It is slick. It is uh, slick. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great cool. size, yeah. beefy little tractor. It's gonna be awesome. They are, so. You know, I've, I've gotten my teeth into them a little bit more because when yes, I first got here, there wasn't as much work. What I have time to do, and so I've used them some and listened to everybody, but I've extensively in the last month, and they're just amazing. They're great. They are great. And I've had a lot of different tractors and brands, too. They are great. Really proud of that relationship. They're great, they're great folks to work with, which helps oh, yeah. a lot, but they're that's a great piece of equipment for people. Really, And they're not a lot around in the South. and a lot, a lot of dealers yet that's growing, but pay attention and go look, check them out is all I'm saying, just for your own sake if you're looking at tractors yeah we went on a little road trip last weekend and uh, i drove by a dealership about an hour north of here actually and, and we pulled into the lot and looked at them man it was it was a good feeling is that murphy brothers maybe so yeah it was i've been up there before too great great yeah. great yeah. i tell you what talk about deer, in the south how a deer will sit there and watch you on a tractor you know as you go it's crazy by. it is crazy they well, know you're, now doing you're taking it to a whole nother level now because- but, right. but you know if you anything you hit the brakes I've had coyotes just just walk out in the field with me bush hogging or doing something and just sat there and watch. Just leave it running. And I was like, okay, okay. And then you start carrying a you know a rifle or something in the in the uh, tractor cab with you or even a shotgun with buckshot or something. 
But when you come to a halt, they're gone. Oh, no. Yeah, they're out of there. I mean, that's a, that's a technique a lot of folks use is uh, they'll get their buddy to drive them <clears> to the stand <throat> in the tractor and turn around and come back. So and, funny story on that line. When we bought our first property ever, y'all, y'all know, we call it Shemola. It's in Alabama. It's our family headquarters now in a very special place. So that's in 1990, a long time ago. So it's that uh, 33 years. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there was an old – Probably looks like about a 50-horse Ford tractor that had broken down. And was just like there were no – the tires were gone on one side. The other was just like a piece of shriveled-up rubber. It had been there forever, but it was clear that Ford tractor. And for the first five to ten years when somebody hunted, uh, there was a long strip of a field. We called it the Ford tractor field. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. they got in the old seat, and we had just a one piece we'd put up there, a proper rifle on. So we hunted. Quite a few deer were killed from a Ford tractor seat. Because they paid no attention to it. It had been there forever. Yeah. How about that? Well, Mike, we're excited about the Camo LS tractor, as you can see. So uh, we need to get one over there where you could get get a chance to plow some plots with it. So speaking of it, have you got all your – Have y'all are y'all getting the rain that you need this year in Georgia for your food plots? Uh, Not really. I mean, we had some – We've had rain this summer, but it's been in the form of really severe thunderstorms. We've had a lot of wind events, a lot of trees down. We're we're dry. I mean, we're we're like a lot of places. We we really need a shot, you know, of water here soon. I mean, we're not in a position where we could plant. I mean, kind of like you are. I mean, we we've mowed and sprayed, and plots are burned down, and everything's ready to go. But we, I mean. You're, it's pointless to break ground right that's now. So exactly. Kind of that's honestly waiting. where we are. There's, mm-hmm. I, they're getting rain today, say, a little south of Starkville and south, which is going to give them a – there's some soil moisture. But it's so dry on the top layer now. I mean, you couldn't even get it to work Dudley's version with a, a heavy dew right now. But it's just we, – we, we missed. Um, there's, I guess, some low spots. But the, the tough part is if you plant in a spot that's maybe – Got no soil moisture now in our part of the world. It's going to be underwater in the winter, so you're <laughs> yeah. wasting your money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, a lot of the stuff around here, you try to drop a disc, it'll just kind of bounce around on the surface. Yep. You know? yep. <laughs> yep. All right, guys, so let's get let's turn around and get focused. Let's look at Mike. Mike, I'm, I'm counting on you to jump in here too. Richie, don't fall asleep on us over there. Please pay attention. But uh, speaking of, but I, I, you know what? I digress. I needed to go back. Did you know we have a guy here in the office that killed an alligator last week? No. I didn't know that. That's right. I didn't. Old, old gator Kitt- hunter Davenport. Richie, how big was this gator you pulled in the boat? It was a mammoth. Now, now I thought we already talked about that. No, we, we, well, we, that one we didn't, didn't get make the full it. story. Yeah, what, yeah, full story. What was the length on that gator? So he was a whopping 4'2". There you go. Right can in you, the slot. Can you make a belt out of that or a watch band or what's that? <laughs> I'm just wondering if you could just do the whole thing, mount the whole thing, and use it oh, for we, a bass we, lure or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we, yeah. He's, we're, getting, we're getting the full mount. We're getting everything. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Hey, hey the so, point was he's in the boat. Hey, I did not eat a tag. That's so right. That's the point. That's so, true. Mm-hmm. No tag sandwich for Richie. And so the, the idea is you don't pass up what you – on the first day, which will shoot on the last day, right? Yeah. Is, that so, what, is that the saying? That's a trip saying that's very famous. <laughs> if you see a deer, especially whatever elk, on the very first day and you're thinking, oh, this is borderline what I shoot or not, and tell yourself, if I was fixing to leave, like he can uh, relate to that. 
If I'm oh, fixing yeah. to leave, would I shoot that? Yeah. Just go ahead and shoot it. That's what. That's kind of the yeah. old saying because you will regret it. I don't ever have that problem. If you pass the like trust your outfit. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Yeah, don't guide the guide. Lanny, Lanny's really particular about shooting. It's got to have hair on it before, yeah, that's right. the yeah. before I even think about it. It's got to yeah, have, it's have hair on it first. Well, Richie, congratulations. Yeah. Four Thank, foot two. Yeah, yeah we uh, we uh, had some Gator Nuggets over the weekend watching the state game. Oh, so nice. Had a little appetizer there. That's so. fun. That's fun. <laughs> so, well, good it, for you, Richie. It worked out well. We appreciate the invite. Yeah, well, 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 actually, you were invited. <laughs> like, 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 don't say you no, weren't. At the last that's, minute. That's no, why I didn't kill a bit. No, you. No, you were invited, and but uh, so that's why I had to rent a boat. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's turn around. Let's look at Mike. Mike, I want to today. I'd like to figure out how we can kind of carve this conversation into. You, you, you're in several hunting clubs, and you. How do you manage all your guys so that they're on the same page with what, with the management plan? How do you keep them all from wanting, if you identify a shooter buck, how do you keep them all from wanting to hunt that area? And I'd also like to find out how you use food plots to help manage your property for deer and turkey. And just okay. uh, kind of get in your head about how you manage for deer hunt. Because people know you as the turkey doc, but uh, you may be madder at the deer than anything else. I am. I am. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you prefaced it with that. I mean, he is a deer nut, for sure. Yeah, I get I get pretty I get pretty mad at him. That's <laughs> that's for sure. It's been several years since I got really mad, but I'm I'm mad this year. <laughs> I've got a few that uh that are big enough to warrant attention and um, some serious attention. So I'm I'm getting I'm getting pretty fussy at him right out of the box this year. So. I'm looking forward to it. I, I feel mean, like I feel like it's early in the season, and I'm getting a pregame speech from a football coach. I'm making he's making me want to go get after it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people like I'm. I'm probably one of these people. I can grow the heck out of a big deer, but <laughs> I still struggle to kill the big deer. Or ever, and, see, uh, yeah, ever see him again once. <laughs> yeah, once his valley uh, falls off down here, it's over. With. Mike over here can grow them and get them into bow range, and that's that's a really big feat that. You know, a, a lot of people don't have that trait. So we want to learn from you today. I do what I can. I think in some ways, you know, my dad used to tell me you, there's no such thing as luck. You know, you kind of create your own luck. But I, I think there is there is such a thing as as luck. Um, and but I do think um, I think what's helped me through the years is I reflect in very few instances do I am I willing to make a hunt where I think there's a chance I'm making a mistake. Hmm. Um I would rather sit out. I, I'd I'd rather sit in a stand or an area that I have absolutely no intel on, no hope whatsoever, than go into one of my my prime spots and make a mistake. Um and I think that works through time if you're if you're willing to be patient and not step into a situation where you think you it's it's iffy. Um, eventually, I think your day comes. And I'm gonna just assume that probably that first thing on your list of potential mistakes is that that first thing is you're watching the wind. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Um, I also think we. You know, I think we get in trouble when we 
don't factor in our approach relative to the wind in addition to the actual hunt itself with the wind. Um, so I'm usually really careful about the wind needs to be pretty much spot on before I'm going to go into a, a set and and hunt it. And I and I try to think carefully about how I'm getting there too and, and whether there's a chance the wind is going to undermine me while I'm getting there. Um, that's just, that's kind of the way I, I look at it. With a rifle, I mean, it's a little bit different. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, you know, you can, you've got a little bit, obviously you have a little more flexibility, but, but I still try to use that kind of super cautious approach when it goes, to, when it comes to, you know, where am I going to go sit, but I'm, you know, how am I going to get there as well? And that can be tough in the South yes. uh, because, yeah, you know, we have so much habitat, you know, AKA cover, you know, everywhere you look, you know, but you yeah. may go to the Midwest and, and everything is patchy and all the cover is in the drainages and stuff. Uh, and, well, the and other so, thing is Southeast doesn't mean Southeast. Right. Let's go. Okay. Right. We're Southeast. I got a travel corridor. Everything's right. I'm going to hunt it this morning. And then you get in there an hour before daylight or whatever. Maybe some people are hit like him, maybe even earlier or whatever. And all of a sudden you sit there and, and the thermals are the exact opposite. The wind hadn't yep. started. The sun hadn't peaked in this certain areas. I always equate it to like certain areas, the air sinks and pulls to it or it rises and pulls air to it one way or the other. But I've had that happen so many times, like early in the morning or when it dies or late in the afternoon, it says, you know, if you don't do your homework and it says Southeast, uh, if it's, you know, you get another forecast, if it says that the, the, what are the three most feared words in the English language for deer hunters, light and variable, <laughs> yeah, you know, so that's my thing is Southeast might not be Southeast. And so how do you, some places the wind swirls a lot more than others. Uh, it is, I'd like to his point, the number one thing I would say. And then only that is like, is your wind blowing into the thicket they're living in that you already know they're living in as you walk to the stand or something, you know? Right. So it's, it's, you just got to, I mean, the guys like him that really are successful are anal, for lack of a better word, about the details, especially of scent more than anything. Yeah, getting in and getting out. You know, when I'm, when I'm standing there thinking, okay, I could hang a lock on there or I could put a stand there or I could do whatever, I'll, I'll scent check, you know, I'll take my, mm-hmm. my powder and I'll start, you know, just, okay, it's supposed to be east, northeast at, eight today and okay how is it blowing at this particular location because i've i've hunted some places in fact to toxic's point one of my favorite stands on the property right here near my house i don't hunt it often and the reason it's my one of my favorite stands is i I killed a really nice deer there a number of years ago and but the wind is really temperamental it's on a point a hardwood uh, kind of a, a large thing, you know, super large diameter pines, open, fire maintained, and then you transition down into these mesic hardwoods. Uh, it's at a point. It's a funnel. You get a lot of deer movement through there. A lot of acorns on the ground in most years, and deer just naturally move through there. But because of the terrain and the topography, there's this constant back and forth of the wind whether it's in the morning and the afternoon, you get these constant thermals, you get swirls and it only takes you going in there to hunt it one time to see it with your own eyes. 
I mean, you'll have deer that you think are money. This this deer is going to walk right by me, and they get 60 yards out, and they don't spook, but they they realize something is not quite right. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're the gigs up at that point, um, particularly for bow hunting, and the the. I really love to hunt that stand, but I bet I don't hunt that stand more than once or twice a year. And it's usually, it's usually the day after a weather change where the winds are super consistent. Yep. You know, like we've been in two days of east northeast or east southeast or whatever. Not hey, a front's coming. It's supposed to be northwest and then southeast tomorrow morning. That type of thing. And I'll stay out of stands like that if there's even a chance the wind could could kind of booger me up there i've got a spot very similar uh it's got to have that it's so thermally for lack of a a better term thermally that you have to have a hard you know the front comes through and you get that hard west northwest wind and that's really the only time you can hunt it is because it pushes the thermals out you know you go the next day when it starts calming down and you're just going to get snorted at Moultrie has pioneered the game management category. Today, Moultrie is one of the best-selling brands of feeders and seeders in the world, and they continue to innovate with new technology that gamekeepers will rely on. Moultrie products are always field-tested and designed for hunters by hunters, combining forward-thinking innovation with time-tested practicality. Moultrie, first in feeders since 1979. So, Mike, are y'all on your... uh, on these properties um do you feel like you get the majority of the bucks on camera every year and you can analyze and put together a hit list or have you ever determined a percentage of bucks you don't think you you have a picture of yeah so i've been one of the properties that i that i hunt a lot a camp that i belong to in louisiana for many many years you know we run a preseason survey every year which i'm a absolute fanatic about is that is that survey instrument and through the through the years you know we run that in october which is super early over there you know nothing it's still hot deer aren't moving a lot so we miss deer and we know that we do so we'll we'll run cameras on into the season and through the years i just kind of have kept a running tally it's about 20 percent that we missed that bucks that will show up now i'm not talking spikes and four points you know i'm talking three plus year old deer that are that that i can identify that are fairly distinctive that we miss about 20 percent. so we'll add you know if we've got 100 deer on on our list you know we'll we'll add another 20 say thanksgiving to mid-december you know, when, when they're starting to feel a little more frisky and things are changing. And, and I think what happens is, you know, you put these preseason surveys together and it's warm and you got to understand deer, their home ranges are very, very small, relatively speaking during the late summer. And, and so you, you drop a camera out and you may not be that far from the core area of a buck and you never get a picture of him because he's just not moving. And I think that's kind of what's at play. Um, I've even run cameras inside of, for instance, and, you know, I'll be judged. That's fine. But I've run camera surveys for clients and others inside of 
you know, high fences and you still miss deer. You still miss animals, even in a high fence. And again, I just think it's at certain times of the year, which like right now, I'm running a survey on a property right now, the one near my house. And I know I'm going to miss deer um, because they're, it's hot. They're just not moving. And and that's OK. You know, we'll come back and we'll supplement it in a, in a month or two and go from there. A couple of great lessons from what he just put out, too. I think the biggest one is for everybody out there in the age of the camera, which some ways I almost hate it. Because it take you know, I used to get up there and think if, if one of our former employees would say Kahuna was going to walk out at any time, yeah. you know, because <laughs> the mystery of the whitetail, the That's big right. whitetail. But but his point was, um, I, and I've for sure factually proven this, deer really, really do migrate, especially older deer that underst- have understood the, and followed other deer that, you know, like the deer, always what we Jordan's have deer, deer. Jordan deer. Yeah. We have a there was a property we had right by. It's gone now. They cut all of it, and we don't have it. But it had a huge stand of swamp chestnut white oak. Just the forester would never cut that over a couple of generations. I say a generation. A generation for that cutting was ten or twelve years of select cutting hardwoods every ten or twelve. Anyway, it was just like this forest of the preferred deer acre there is on the planet, and. He killed this deer. Well, it just happened that we have – Daddy has a farm about a mile and a half or more from there, all the way across the creek bottom on the back towards Starville. And we had ex- pictures of the exact same deer all summer up until about two weeks before he killed him. And he migrated when those acorns started falling. And so I've noticed that even out where our place is north of town here, too, deer that – oh, I say, for example, our neighbor hunts within a mile to a mile and a half. And I've never seen a deer that he's killed sent me a picture of. And he doesn't shoot many because he's very selective um, that we didn't have on camera consistently uh-huh. all summer long. But he has a bunch of big hardwoods and a lot of mast. And so another one is a deer that was raised and consistently probably about three miles from there. And then he was seen quite a bit, uh, you know, th- again, three miles from where he spent all his summer. So they move. And I think the older deer – Move. But the second point is um, don't give up, you know, like in anything. So you don't have a deer on your place. Don't pull all your cameras. If that's somewhere you still like to hunt and all, deer are going to move. I mean, a lot of people you see read the stories or something's in the paper or magazine and someone's killed this giant deer and it's like, oh, my gosh, I hadn't seen him in almost a year. And then mm. he showed up on a camera and a lot of times they'll just be – in an area for a couple of days, maybe it's because they followed a doe there during the rut and hung out there and found something to eat and, you know, went, you know, they went back to their home ground later. But, you know, having that on the spot today with, you know, it's even been outlawed in some areas, but on the spot, send it to your cell phone technology can really help you if something changes. So don't give up, you know, just because uh, you hadn't seen one. And flip side of for that sure. is if you've got seasons open, and you've got the right conditions, and you've got the, you better take advantage of it, or they will move opposite that. Well, leave one you. thing that drives me nuts, and one of one of my guys, one of the guys that hunts with me, said this a few years ago, and I I really chastised him actually, and he's a he's a a hell of a good deer hunter. You chastised him? I did because he said, <laughs> "quote I, I said something. Why don't you go sit wherever it was?" And we were all deciding you know, where are we going to hunt? And on this property, we're very, we're very cordial with each other. We, you know, if, 
we're all on the same page and when we talk about how that happened but you know when it's time to decide who goes and sits where we we have an open frank discussion every afternoon about well where are you going well i was thinking about going here well i was also thinking about going there well you go that's fine no no problem i'll hunt in the stand beside you or whatever it is that's when our group's a little different than your group <laughs> yeah. right there. That's, we kind of we kind of merge right where you went straight ahead yeah. right there. I was thinking uh, the same well, this, thing. This particular day, my buddy said, I, I said, you know, why don't you go wherever it was? I don't remember where it was. And he goes, hey, there's nothing there. And, and what he was saying was there were no pictures there. And, you know, no, no pics of bucks there. And I looked at him and I said, you, you got to be kidding me. We've got a northwest wind, one of the best winds you could have on this property. Go hunt. Get your tail in the stand. Yep. You know, you're, you're dead on I, too. 100%. I killed a I killed a room full of bucks that are hung on the wall before I ever looked at a trail camera picture. And I really think in some ways we've gone so far down the road of um uh, if I don't have the intel, I'm not going to go hunt. And that's absurd. That I mean, absurd. if the weather conditions are right, go sit, go yep. get there. And I mean, what's the worst thing that you could do? Have mm-hmm. a, a wonderful, blessed afternoon sitting in God's creations, seeing nothing. I mean, that's still better than what I'm doing Right as after we finish with this podcast, careful, yeah. you almost said right, what I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it could be worse. Yeah, no, I, know, if he's got the window down right now, or not. Yeah, yeah. I can remember one afternoon that, and this is a, this is an honest story. I showed up late. I was by myself. Grabbed a gun. I was wearing a button-up shirt because I had been visiting a client. I had no camouflage on. I had khakis. Oh, that's I put a, my rubber boots on. That, that's a problem right there. Mike. No, it's yeah. like it just yeah. tells you miracles do happen. <laughs> yeah. Ran to the stand, and we needed to shoot does on this on this property. We were way behind on our doe kill. The opening weekend, the weather was terrible. We had only killed a, a handful. And... So the first day that walks out, I shoot her. And I, I text one of the guys that, that works up there, used to, and I said, do we need a camp deer for me? And he said, yeah, we, we do. And I said, okay, good. I just shot a doe. He said, well, I'll come help you after dark. So a little while later, another doe comes out, and I shoot her. And I texted him again, and I said, do we need another deer? Yep, I've got a buddy that will take one. I said, perfect. He said, I'll see you after dark. And about 10 minutes after that, 150-inch eight-point walks out. I shot him, and I'm sitting there in khakis with a nice button-up shirt on, no hat, no nothing. And I went to this stand because I thought, there's really nothing I can screw up here. The wind's perfect for it. I don't, I never hunt this stand, ever. I can count the number of times in 25 years I've hunted the stand on one hand. And, but you know what? The wind was perfect. I had no intel. I had no idea what was there. And one of the nicer eight points I've seen comes out and I shoot him. I mean, it's a big eight. Go point. get the stand. Yeah. Giant eight. What do you call that? 
A what real eight. A real eight. A real eight. My Uncle Bud would say that's a real eight. A real eight. So, Mike, how do you get? How do you guys decide who's going to go where? Y'all really just talk it out. You don't draw cards, or Bobby's so amazed y'all don't fight about horns. Yeah, and antlers. I, I, really and antlers. I mean, Bobby is. Oh well, my gosh! I like the talking <laughs> out. I like the talking it out because when you draw cards and somebody makes a decision that you know they may not be quite as knowledgeable or they may not worry about the wind as much, you know they may pick a spot that's going to uh, get boogered up. Well, know? it's so being able time. to communicate with people. It, it took us time in that group because you know we had our years where. We all were selfish. I bet. And we all wanted to kill big deer, and 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 it took it. We had our learning curves. I mean, we had we had situations where feelings got hurt, and and then suddenly, I think collectively, we all realized um, that you know what, we're all going to put animals on the wall if that's our objective. We're our our management program was was so successful and it was so obvious to everybody that hunted there that okay there's there's 40 bucks on the shoot list this year and that's not an exaggeration i mean we we've had years where we have you know 40 50 shooters on this property and wow you've got that volume of animals and they're they're high quality i mean some are obviously much bigger than others. Um, I mean, we shoot based on age, but I think everybody just realized through time that, you know what? It's not worth getting upset with one another. It's not worth ruining a friendship. It's a deer. I mean, it's a deer. And at the end of the day, I think everyone looked around on their own den wall and thought, what's really important is the process here that it took for us to get here. I mean, being part of a process, being part of the project, we shared in each other's successes and we still do. And, and when you get to that point where you're not selfish anymore, you realize that if your buddy kills a deer, that's super nice. You, you've had the same, I mean, you've enjoyed your afternoon. You go and sit and, and if you bide your time, I know if I hunt on that property, I'm going to kill a nice buck every year. I know I am. So I'm not worried about it anymore. And if I don't, you know what? It's not that big of a deal to me anymore. Mm-hmm. And it took me time to get there. And there are some people that know me very, very well that will, could tell you, yeah, Mike 10 years ago wasn't Mike today. <laughs> right. Um, but it happens. It happened. That's right. Mike, you know, Talking it out works for us. It's, it's just it really cool works. to know that you grew that on your own place yeah, with your friends, and you know they can send you a photo and you can look at it and say, you know, we did that. You know, well, not, it kind of makes me proud of the gamekeeper process that we've been walking down the road talking yeah. to the world about for. And look, not that we all get along about everything, and that's, that's what I was going to comment. Like, just just some people that everybody's proud for them when they take one, regardless turkey, deer, whatever. And there's just some people to go, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> did he get one? You know, yeah. it's just yeah. it's just human nature and all. But I was getting to the most fun of all is doing the work on the place and managing the place and seeing the results in the wildlife. It's just magical to know that you actually did that, and so it becomes the centerpiece. Over just the killing, of course, you still like going and shooting stuff, but it no helps. Question. It's no question that that game, that's one of the brag on the old gamekeeper process because it, 
And I think it's kind of shining a light on how we get down the road. And it's a lot more than, yeah, we're going to help you get better animals and better hunting, but it's a better enjoyment of the whole life, you know, that you get out of it. Well, he, yeah, he hit the nail on the head with the word that, selfless, you know. Yeah, I think one thing, too, that that helps in groups like we're talking about, whether it's three guys and gals or whether it's 10 or 15 or whatever, is if you have people that are involved that are that are passionate about the process, but they're self-deprecating, they yes, are yes. modest, they are willing to to bend, then the others that are around see that. And they see that there are people within their group that truly do have the mindset that you this this is us this is this is exactly a well think about it everybody's involved in the process of the management process it's, you know maybe and again maybe somebody you have a lease someone else does all the work tells you what you can shoot or not shoot whatever but most cases today everybody involved in hunting on a place wants to have some say so do some work have a hand in it and you think about it now everything you take they have a hand in and they can say Hey, you know, we got this place. We all work together on it. Oh my gosh, we, you know, we got. And they're talking like a gamekeeper. It's like, do you know we killed like four deer over 170 this year, or we killed five deer over 150 and two 160? You know, whatever the group does, they can feel like they have a part of that, mm-hmm. and it does sure. create mm-hmm. a team spirit. You know, to the whole process, as opposed to you know every you know every man, every dog for himself or whatever. Dudley, mm-hmm. you had a question. Yeah, um, I want to learn more about your, you know, your techniques for keeping the pressure down that you and your buddies utilize. I know, you know, different hunting camps, different regions have different ways of keeping pressure at bay. And I, I know one, I've noticed one thing is you guys seem to be really good at uh, getting these bucks, mature bucks to come out into food plots yep. uh, during daylight. Um what are some tips you can offer our listeners for that? So one thing that um, I get asked, and this is a related question, Dudley, is, okay, so do you just sit out of these plots, the, you know, until it's time for bucks to start moving? No. Uh, we'll, we'll routinely go in early in the season and shoot our does over plots. I'm not concerned about it. I, I do try to if if I have the say, and of course I don't always have the say, but but when I do have the say, it's we're going to uh, we're going to lay out of some areas. We're going to get our does shot early, and then we're going to chill out a little bit. We're going to let things settle down. We're not going to drive around the property willy nilly. We're not going to go uh, grab a beer and take a ride. We're, we're going to be as quiet and inconspicuous as possible all of the time. And the other thing that I, I'm a firm believer in is completely sitting places out and not hunting them until it's go time. And, and I have the property right here near my house. There's, there's a number of food plots. They're all good. A buck could walk across any one of them at any time, but there are just a few that through the years are just better 
they're just destination plots. They end up getting bucks that show up at four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and there's some, they show up at five ten if they're going to show up. So we really lay out of those four o'clock plots until the wind's perfect. It hasn't been hunted in two weeks. Uh, let's go make one hunt. And it, and, to, and and this is God's honest truth. This is a small group of guys that hunt this place. I don't care who hunts it. Somebody needs to go hunt that plot. And you got one shot. It's Friday afternoon, or let's just say Friday afternoons, you one shot. It hasn't been hunted in a couple of weeks. Let's go make this happen. Somebody get in there quietly and do not climb down. I will come get you after dark in a bike or other you know, yes. vehicle. Yes, big time. Don't climb down. And that that's another thing that I'm a absolute fanatic about. I do not want to climb down if I even have a hint that there's an animal anywhere around me. So if I'm the one that's in that money spot i'm arranging for somebody to come get me and if i don't have that option and my wife will confirm this she thinks it's absolutely insanity (laughs) i have sat in stands until hours after dark just sitting there wait till they clear well you think about it's so smart is that it's just take an example where just, you know, don't get out of a stand and leave in the evening around food, food, food store, food plot. Unless, you know, there's no, well, there's going to be deer there if you see yes. them or not. Okay. The, the food plot's empty. Uh, I, I can get out of here. The only way to clear the area out is for someone to drive through there. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just. Think about, think about how many times you've sat there. And I'm I'm guilty of this. I've done this. And and as I was doing it, I was like, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. A doe, you know, two does and three fawns were out. It's getting late. They meander off. You give them about four or five minutes and you climb down. Mm -mm. Don't do it. It is crazy how quickly if you bust deer from a bow stand and then continue to hunt it through the year. And, you know, I can't prove anything, but it's like they – start to avoid it they're like they know exactly what your effective range is and they you can still see deer traveling but all of a sudden they have changed yep last year perfect story to show that point toxie last year i went to my camp i wanted to bow hunt i had already this is rifle season now but i had already bow hunt i'd I'd shot a deer with uh actually first deer kill with austin's bow i shot last year wow and I wanted to keep bow hunting. I wanted to keep shooting deer with that bow. So I asked one of my buddies that was there, I was like, Hey, where are those ground blinds you got set up? And he told me where one of them was. And Oh, that's perfect for a Southeast wind. So I hustled in there, got in there plenty early. And here comes a a doe and a fawn. And that doe from a hundred yards looks at that ground blind. And she wouldn't come anywhere near it. And I started, I texted him right then. I said, who was the last person that hunted this blind? And I'm not, he said, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I said, well, whoever it was busted this deer because she knows something's wrong. And it's so obvious when you do it, they, they learn right out of the box that there's something wrong there. Don't go over. She was all over that food plot. If I'd have had a rifle, I could have, I could have smoked her, but 
she was not going to come to that 22 yard mark. There was just no question. She was not doing it. <laughs> Mac, you look like you got something you want to ask. I do, Dr. Mike. How you doing? Good, Mac. How about you? Oh, doing well. So I recently got into a club, and so I'm really trying to figure it out. And the camera survey is interesting to me because we've been talking about doing that. So how long do you leave, say, the cameras up to have a good survey? And then are you moving cameras around uh, to different areas? And what areas, I guess, are you looking to put cameras in? I mean, it really depends on the scenario. Usually what I'll do is, you know, for a client, for instance, is if there are areas where they've already, you know, they have plots or they've already, they already have feeders or they already have locations where animals are, are used to coming to a location, I'll usually start, start there. I'm not a big, I'm not a big camera move guy. Um, I tend to be one. I mean, if you think about it in a lot of ways, you know, a camera survey is a snapshot. I, I kind of look at it as I know I'm going to miss a, a group of animals like we talked about. What I really want to understand is my buck to doe ratio. And I want to understand who my, you know, if, for instance, right here in September in Georgia, whoever I'm getting on camera right now is pretty much a homebody. They're, they're, they're right there. Okay. Well, these are the bucks I know I've, I have. And like we talked about, if I can come back and supplement that later, I will. But I'm just trying to get kind of a minimum at this point. Okay, here here are the bucks that I know are homebodies. They're right here. You know, hopefully, you know, if I get multiple pictures of the same animals on different cameras so that I know I can get some sense of their range at this point, you know, where they're more likely to show up than others, other locations. That's just kind of the way I do it, Mac. I don't, I don't try to get an exhaustive list. And I also think sometimes we make mistakes when we, we just keep going into areas and putting cameras and putting things, putting feet on the ground or just putting, you know, random cameras up. We're putting our scent, we're, we're traveling in there, we're going and we're constant. And even if you're using cell cameras, you're, you have this constant activity. And I think, right. That can be problematic. It's hard to do it to the degree he does. That's one reason they're so successful. But one little uh, rule of thumb that I've always said, I believe, mirrors this. At least it's the simple things like don't go put a camera in a morning spot in the morning. And don't hang morning spots in the morning. Mm. You know, for the for the most part, if you got to d- violate them and you're uh, early in the morning, late in the afternoon hunter, do it in the middle of the day. The, even mm. worse than that is do not go <laughs> – Put a camera or hang a stand or do some work at a food source place in the evening. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. I mean, it's just that's not that hard to do that to the degree of discipline he has is tough. And I might be completely wrong, but you can't convince me that bumping a doe out of a stand isn't a problem. Oh, of course. I mean, it is. Yeah. that is just. You know, like this, we were talking off, off, you know, off camera, if you will, about this, my hunt this morning and what a fiasco it was. You know, I ended up bumping a buck, which I, I'm not happy about, but he's a youngster. I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I truly couldn't help doing it. I had no idea that he was still there. He had been there forever. 
And as I'm calming down, realizing that, okay, I just educated this, this youngster. It, it was so frustrating to me. It's like that, is that going to come back to haunt me? Uh, I don't know. Well, what I do know is if you bump a doe out of a stand, it's going to come back to haunt you. Especially an older, especially an old one. When she starts blowing and, and, and it, if you can't prevent it, fine. But if you could have prevented it, then that's on you. That's kind of the way I look at it. That's, that's really interesting. Don't, don't under my only, don't underestimate them. Mm, I mean, no, no. you hear people talking about, ah, it doesn't matter. Ah, it doesn't matter. Ah, it doesn't matter. I mean, all this stuff. And I was like, why take a chance? You get so little time after all this work and money and time. And we love it so much. It's like the details he's talking about. Just, yeah. Why, why take a chance? You know? Well, Maybe. you, you spook that doe. She's going to continue to be wary. Well, that no mature buck may be. 80 yards away in a thicket, you know, looking at her mannerisms, you know, two day, two afternoons later, oh, and he yeah. may decide not to, mm-hmm. not to come out if she looks a little spooked. Mm-hmm. Those old yeah. does, those old does do not forget. And if you move her off the plot and she stops coming to that, you know, she's weary. Well, if he's following her a month later. <laughs> well, what I find is once you've bumped them the one time, in most cases, I mean, every terrain is different. They'll end up where they will not approach the food plot except downwind. Mm-hmm. They just won't yeah. do it. So instead of her just, you know, being comfortable coming on out there and doing her thing, which you're only going to get one if they're pretty much downwind unless it's a miracle, they'll – every you watch. They'll, if they've been – the pressure, they'll start to – by and large, they'll – and the bucks often will just circle the whole thing first, you know. Mike, let's go back. You, you said that y'all's club that you're looking at, uh, you're you're judging your well, – well, Lanny, I was coming to you, but you didn't look like you had a question there. Right, I, I appreciate my, that. It's so rare that Lanny asked a question. <laughs> Let me uh, forego where I was going here. Let's go to Lanny. Well, y'all brought up my favorite subject, which is does, <laughs> obviously. So I just I – mean, I, you touched on this a little bit, but do y'all have a strategy for harvesting does? Because I know you're like us in the South. It's a very important part of our program to – to harvest as, as for us as many does as possible. Do you have timing or any kind of tips you could give us about what's best about that? Yeah, my my philosophy has always been early and often. Um, mm-hmm. I try to get the bulk of the doe harvest completed well before the rut in whatever area I'm hunting. That can be that can be a grind in some places, like it is here at my house. We have about five weeks and it's mostly five to six weeks and it's almost all archery hunting to get our our does shot before the rifle opener and the rifle opener is followed very quickly by the rut so um that makes it a grind which is why i was in a stand this morning before work is mm-hmm. i'm you know we're trying to get these does shot because i've never understood the notion of let them be bred, let them eat Mm-mm. all fall and then kill them. That, that really doesn't make any sense to me biologically. So, so yeah, um, my target usually is I want 50% of my doe harvest shot, you know, done within the first few weeks of the season. Um, if I can do that and on some properties that obviously that can be a challenge. If, if your doe target is say 50 animals, or more in some cases, then yeah. that can be that can be a lot, a of, lot work. of work. That's right. But I yeah. think it's important, and that also allows you to you get those animals out of there. You free up those resources, 
You can then ratchet the pressure back a little bit, let things settle down, and then you're not, one, you're freeing up resources, but two, you're not allowing does to occupy a buck's mind and his energy and then turning right around and, and shooting her. Gotcha. Early you, and you're, often. You're going to have a lot better rut, too, yeah. or a lot of better hunting Should be more intense. in the rut. Yeah. Yeah, higher competition. No question yeah. about that one, too. Yeah. You know, Mike, uh, it's, it, it seems like, and this could, it, it seems like most people don't shoot as many does as they need to. And I know you can't make a blanket statement across the country because deer herds are in different, or, you know, peaks and valleys here and there. But it, do you do you hear that? Or do you sense that, that people just don't shoot enough does? Yes. Yes. That's a... A very, very common problem that I I see and I see it with my own I see it with my own clients. You know, it when you tell somebody that that they need to kill, let's say fifty, that sound, you know, when you think fifty, that's like, okay, that's a lot of animals. Well, when you start actually killing fifty and you realize what goes into doing that and how much work it is, I think people quickly get what I call doe fatigue and they, they get tired and they get frustrated. And it's like, every time I show up here, I'm cleaning deer, I'm taking deer to processors I'm, and they, and they back off. They let, they take their foot off the throttle. And that's a, that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people, you know, if, you know, if, if you if you've got a high deer density, and research has shown this, generally about a thirty percent doe harvest will allow you to reduce density. Somewhere in that fifteen to twenty percent will usually allow you to kind of get by from year to year and sustain those numbers. And then when you get down lower than that, you, your herd should be expanding. So if you just kind of think about it, if you are if you're hunting a property that has what you think is a super high deer density, you got a lot of deer. Um, and your biologist or your manager or whoever's working with you says, Hey buddy, we need to kill 30 does. Well, if 30 is 15%, think about it. I mean, that's, that's just knocking the top off, if you will. So yeah, doe, doe kill can be, can be problematic. Lanny, have you ever had doe fatigue? I never had that. You know, must be be genetic or something. It does point out one of the (laughs) one of the things to cultivate if you're intensively managing like you are is a list of very trusted friends. Because that way you could bring, you know, instead of just you and the people in the club only having a monumental task of shooting all those does and doing all that. You know, if you have then you Mm -hmm. could actually have like doe day or two bring in if you know they're trusted friends that will do the right thing and. Some of the, I haven't been able to do a good job of this, but some of the, including you, the best successes I've seen was where they had the intention of taking all their mouths off. I can think of three or four I know of. One of them even had a doe weekend. It was like a ladies hunt weekend. They entertained a bunch of people, had guests and whatever, put all these people on stands, and their goal was to shoot 50-something does in a weekend. Yep. And often they achieved that, you yep. know? And yeah. then they, having, then they didn't touch guns them. You trust. And then their managers would say, what I don't want is people nipping at them all the time around yeah. the food sources all year long. And they, they, I mean, right, wrong or indifferent, they had great results. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, having having trusted guns that you can bring in that will help relieve some of that pressure off you and your own, you know, folks is important. And and you know, honestly, y'all know this. I mean, you can you can generate some serious goodwill with people. Oh, for you, sure. You know, <laughs> hey, hey, buddy, if you if you want to come hunt, I will. You know, I'll wine and dine you all weekend. You shoot as many does as you want, as long as you take them with you when you leave. Yep. And leave the place good as as good or better than you found it. And and man, those people realize they can go fill their freezer up in one weekend and stay at a nice camp and have the facilities to take care of the animals after they kill them. You, like at our camp, we have some guys do that every year. That's they, a hell of a good time. Your daughter's been begging you to hunt since her little brother shot the big eight last year. You've ran a fire, dissed the fields, got stuck, got unstuck, planted food plots, fertilized, and prayed for rain. You moved trees, limbed roads, even bought one of those fancy cell cameras. So what's your excuse? LS Tractor. You mentioned that you that you're doing uh, that. You guys are shooting your bucks by age. What's yep. that? What's that age you're trying to get them to? At a minimum four. Um, most of the time, we try to let our bucks get to be age five if we can. I will. I will actually target some bucks that are four if they if they are really super poor quality. Um, you know, if you look at the science, you know, whitetails have attained, you know, 90 plus percent of their antler potential on average when they're four. So if you've got an animal, you know, I, I can think of one right here at my house. It's a, you know, it's 110 inch, eight point, super short tines. He's four years old. He's eating a lot of forage every day. Um, I'm not worried about genetics. Um, you know, we, we can get into that, but the research is very clear on, you know, shooting yourself out, you know, of a genetic mess. That's not going to work. I don't care. I'm just, I don't want to feed an animal all year. That is, is not at all what we're looking for. Um, but most of the time I'm waiting until they're five and then, and then we're targeting them and some will let go longer than that understanding that you're taking a huge risk um to let a deer age intentionally beyond five although we we do it and sometimes it's bitterness and sometimes it doesn't yeah so i've got another question here but lanny i will get to your next one uh, after this but mike i have a lot of guys that tell me that on some pressured properties that they're ha- having luck creating an edge effect on some of their larger food plots. And this mm-hmm. edge effect is like we've got this bird blend that we have called Whistleback, but there's some guys, real reputable biologists that are planting it along the edge in about a 10-yard wide swath. Mm-hmm. And they're telling me that they're they're seeing these mature bucks stand in it, waiting on it to get dark. And I was just – I'm not – I'm not trying to promote our product. I'm trying to understand this edge effect. And could you kind of explain what you think might be going on there? Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got animals that are, that are uncomfortable coming out into the wide open that are going to go stand and 
survey and see what, you know, what the playing field is. I, I've seen this a number of times with bucks that didn't know I could see them where they're standing up, you know, in the cover and they're, they may, they may stand there for five, 10 minutes at a time and just stare at deer that are in the plot. Um, that's one of the reasons that, you know, those afternoons when a lot of deer start showing up in a destination plot, that's when my blood, that's when my heart rate goes up because those bucks will stand there and they'll watch other deer and they'll figure out how comfortable they feel walking out into that plot. And if they've got some cover to do that from, I think they're more likely to, to walk out. I actually have my favorite food plot ever is on a property here at my house. It kind of envision a, it's a boomerang shape. And in the center of the boomerang is a food plot and several acres. And then the ends of the boomer boomerang are well, this year, one of the ends is uh, a combination of soybeans and sorghum. Uh, some years, one end will just be fallow. Uh, some years, it will be forage beans. You know, of course, they're super tall at this point. Any scenario you want to think of, but there's cover there. There's stuff for, for animals to walk out in. They'll actually bed down in it. And they'll come out of the forest and they'll stand there in that edge and just watch. And if there, if there are deer that are out in that plot, particularly if they're deer that are acting up, maybe there's two younger bucks that are sparring a little bit, or there's, there's a doe that's got a fawn that's kind of cantankerous and he or she is running around. You see, you watch their tails, you watch their ears. They start becoming very comfortable. They're standing there in the cover. They feel safe. And lo and behold, here they come. So I think that's kind of what you're describing is what I often see at that food plot is it may take deer 10 or 15 minutes to get to that plot because they walk out in that cover and they just stand there and they mill around. They'll take a few slow steps. They'll stare, they'll watch. They'll meander to the left and they'll meander to the right. And then suddenly they're on a beeline versus say a food plot where there is none of that. They, they're either out there or they're not. And, you know, those are the situations where your heart rate, you know, your heart stops because right at dark, here he came. Well, he's been standing there for quite some time in a lot of situations. Yeah. And so he just finally felt comfortable. So yeah. you're just basically you're moving the staging area from from the woods where you can't see the plot. into yep. the plot. Yep. So they're going to stage in that thick area in the plot instead of just sitting there staring, you know, from the woods. So this was years ago. There's a there's a huge food plot at my camp in Louisiana, and there's a bow stand, a double bow set on the edge of the the plot. And imagine a scenario where you've got like a seven or acre seven acre food plot, a kind of a perfect square, and then on one side of it you have this archery set that's right on the edge. But behind this set is all bedding cover, is all thick, brushy, scrubby. And I cannot tell you the number of times that, and of course, we don't hunt the, the bow set and the rifle blind at the same time, but I can't tell you the number of times that one of our hunters, and in a lot of cases, it was Austin, would come out of that stand and say, we had these two bucks come up under us. They stood there for like 20 minutes, staring out into that field, and then they finally walked out, or 
this buck, you know, here's a picture of him on my phone. I took when he was walking under the stand. It took him 20 minutes to get out in that food plot. He walked back and forth under this tree five or six times. I, I can't tell you the number of times that people have said that. And I've seen it myself where they just they walk up and they mill around. They stand there and just stare holes through that food plot, looking at other animals that are out there. And that's that's the effect that Bobby's talking about is just moving that transition where he's comfortable out closer to the food source. Yeah, so guys, we're doing some food plot architecture. That's something to think about in the future. Sure, and uh, even if your field isn't seven or eight acres, uh, if you're surrounded by some adjoining trees, you know, a lot of times it's just a bunch of sweet gums and elms and ashes and things. You could create that thick field stuff further back, you know, in the woods instead of taking up food plot space Yeah, with some hack and squirt or, you know, laying some trees down. Great for ground building, ground dwelling birds too. Yeah. Yeah. So has anybody else got another question for, go ahead. I got one more. Um, You know, we've talked about before the rut strategies, rut strategies, like post rut, you know, what are your, your goals from hunting? And then what are you doing post rut to, from a nutritional standpoint? Well, from a hunting perspective, post rut, I'm I'm looking at food sources and and lack of pressure. You know, are there particular food sources that these bucks are going to go to uh, where they're more comfortable than than others? Um, you know, one and I you know this, but one thing you see in in many areas after the rut is your bucks start they 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 end up getting back with some buddies. You may have two or three bucks that are using a you know, an area together. Um, you know, I'm trying to find a reliable food source that is attracting a lot of attention period, not just from bucks, but a lot of, a lot of deer activity anyway, because I think those bucks, particularly once they start grouping back up, they just, you know, the safety and numbers kind of mm-hmm. thing, uh, go show up where there's some other deer. Um, as far as nutrition goes, Honestly, you know, if I've done a good job with my food plots and my deer density isn't so high that they're consuming everything, I'm just letting I'm letting those animals chill out and and relax and I'm trying not to put pressure on them mm-hmm. as much and and let them let them beef back up. Um, you know, it's it can be a sore subject with some people, but you know, one thing that, you know, if a client says, "Hey, uh, what can I do to to really improve my deer condition after the rut and as the season's ending? You know, I have I have clients that have super super high deer densities, and those deer end up in fairly poor condition. You know, those bucks are run down at the end of the the rut. They may feed uh, a protein pellet or a, you know something yeah. that allow those animals to kind of recover more quickly than than they would otherwise. And I see that being particularly problematic after a mass failure, you know, yeah. when you've got a tough, tough fall and those bucks are down, they're already going to be down weight anyway, but then they're down even more weight than normal. Um, you know, that, that may be a scenario to, to consider if your finances and your, your, your ethics, you know, everybody's different when right. it comes to the 
supplemental feeding issue, but that's that's something to consider. You can't always count on things like those small acorn reds that we love so much that fall through the leaf litter and the deer and turkey scratch them up in the late season. Uh, you may not always have a good mast year. And so it's important, you know, to back them up with some good forbs in your early successional habitat. Uh, maybe put some feed out as well and, and your food plots that stay green through the winter. I've seen a lot of really, really heavy use of, of plants like turnish, turnips and radishes and, you know, late season like that when you've got, uh, you know, things are getting pretty tough out there and they may have laid off of some of those plants earlier in the, you know, in the fall, hopefully, and allowed them to actually grow a bulb and, and be successful. And then you flip the script to say January or February and, you know, they'll, they'll often crush those, those plants that they laid off of them a month or so earlier. Yeah. And, and way up North, you know, they get some snow cover that, that helps keep a lot of those radishes and turnips longer, you know, it keeps them insulated and they can pull them up in the late winter. And we can pull them up and when you make a neck roast, you know, with, with a turnip, Reduction is pretty good. Delicious. Mike is a neck roast guy. Y'all he talks about neck growl. roast all the time. So. Oh, I love them. Love a neck roast. Ate it last night for dinner. They're delicious. How about that? Well, look, guys, we, we've asked a lot of questions. Let, let's uh, turn it over to Matt. We've, uh, Doc, we've got a trivia question for you. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, so one of our listeners that's left a review can win a prize here if you get this question right. So here we go, Matt. All right, Dr. Mike. So you're playing for SC turkey hunter and the prize is a gamekeeper phil wear wing shooter pullover oh nice so that's yeah. it guys probably a south carolina turkey hunter i'm guessing yeah that would make sense mike sometimes <laughs> these listeners that leave these reviews leave little trick names and they're <clears throat> trying to see if we'll say them and there's been a couple of times we've embarrassed ourselves you, you've you've embarrassed <laughs> all right dr mike so the question is what are juvenile sandhill cranes referred to as? And if Colts. You... Oh, my gosh. He, he got it. that right out of the <laughs> What did he say? Colts. Colts. Dr. Chamberlain. <laughs> Look, here, I, you can't make this up. You really <laughs> hold can't. on, hold on, hold on. Bobby, don't go to a gunfight with a water pistol. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. You, so the other... The, the reason I knew that is one of my former students is now a faculty member at Texas Tech. And he does work. He does a lot of work on Sandhill Cranes. And the other day he posted on his social media accounts that they were they were trapping Colts and banding them. And that's why I knew that. I, I saw his post. And I, that's super interesting what he's doing. And he's he's a great scientist. Um and I saw that and I was like, that's really cool that, you know, they're putting satellite GPS tags on them and getting all this cool movement data, which, you know, is right up my wheelhouse anyway. And so that's that helped me answer that question. And you probably knew that answer uh, however many years ago yeah. when you were a student. Yep. But, you know, yep. that's what that's the thing. A lot of these PhDs will forget something because they've they've learned so much. You know, they may have learned that in a class when they were a freshman, you know. Well, I thought that was a neat – I've never heard what they were called, and I thought everybody might learn something. So, And I thought we might have a chance to stump you, but I guess not. 
Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> what happened? Yes, All right. Well, he's, 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 but, he's sassy. Uh, on the other side, if you're having a wildlife trivia pursuit contest, call Doc. That's right. That's a good he's point. definitely on my phone a friend list. That's yes. A good. <laughs> so I got to ask what we didn't talk about is, and real quickly, we talked about it, but when we were going to do it before and we talked about it, we're going to do it today, it's like, what is are his thoughts in developing, obviously, a great whitetail food plot with an eye on turkeys and 365 management? Mm-hmm. And I'd love to get his thoughts about that as much as all these topics today. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I'm, so when I plant food plots for deer, this shouldn't come as a shock. I'm always thinking about turkeys. There we go. Man <laughs> after my own heart. So I'm thinking a cereal grain if not two, uh, wheat notes happens to be my, my favorite. Uh, I'm thinking about that because I want the green succulent nutrition in the fall and winter, but I also want those senescent seed heads in the spring and summer. Uh, I want those stalks standing in those plots in the spring because they're going to attract insects. And I'm usually going, well, always going to add, uh, a white clover. I'll often add crimson clover to those plots because then I can, one, I've got an excellent deer plot in the fall. I've got those clovers carrying good nutrition into late winter and early spring. And then I've got that crimson taking off in the spring that's attracting a lot of insects. Um, if I'm thinking high deer density, um, I'm planning at a at a heavy rate, but if if the person if it's me and I'm thinking my deer density is appropriate and I'm really concerned about my turkeys, I'm going to back off on that clover rate a bit because I want a little. I don't want it to be a carpet under that wheat notes. Um, young poults aren't moving through that carpet. I want a little bit of bare ground uh, if I can get it. And I also am going to plant those plots, say, next month. I'm going to come back in January, and I'm going to disc a strip all the way around that plot. I may disc a strip right through the center of that plot. And you're like, what in the world would you do that for? Um, I'm going to stimulate native forbs with that winter disking. I'm going to give my turkeys a transition strip around the outside. I'm going to give them some bare ground, maybe one strip through the center of the plot to to really be able to move. And what I've seen with my own two eyes is that really increases the attractiveness of those plots to turkeys. Wow. If you can can give them those those native forbs. So you're talking, say, a... 10, 12 foot disc when you say a disc or two. Yeah, one pass. One pass. Really just outside. even rough. If our if our soil's real uh heavy clay, would you not break it down to where it's a little more or do big clods fine too? I mean, you're going to get some response with the big clods, but right. if you got a super heavy soil like yeah, yeah in your in your case, you may right. have to make multiple passes. Because we've got some sandy loam, which I love, just not a lot of it. And one yeah. pass does the trick. So yeah, that's a great really that's like, a great tip right there. Because mm-hmm. I really like the way that looks in the spring. Because yeah. and I mean, I've seen it with my own two eyes. I mean, birds will really use that buffer along the edge. It gives them some cover. It gives poults something to hide under. It's different. I mean, if you think about it, we're creating a kind of a 
you know, let's just say wheat, oats, crimson, and white clover, where you're creating a four species plant community. And while that's beneficial, if you're juxtaposing it to a 20 species native plant community that is attracting a lot of insects and has some structure, then that's even better. Yep. And uh, a lot, you know, when that stuff gets really tall and, and this is just my observation, but when it gets really tall and there's a bunch of dew out there in the morning, you don't really seem to see a whole bunch of turkeys strutting around in that super tall clover and no, stuff yeah. and, well, they can't, until I, it dries off. And they really like those edges. Like, you well, know, Mike I'm, was. It's a sight thing. Like I said, the deer live their whole life about their nose, even more than their eyes or anything or their ears. The turkeys is all sight. And I'm just thinking how making it more attractive, you think about turkeys want, being comfortable using it. If you've got a clean, it very at the very first part of it before it grows up, you've got something really clean around it. You know, I think they feel safer there. I like it. And even if you, you know, know if you if the plot gets too tall, you're right. They, I think they don't. They're not comfortable being yeah. in there because they can't. Their protection's gone. Yeah, walk across a plot like that in the spring in a spring morning and see what your feet feel like when you get to the other side. You know, you're soaking wet. Well, if yeah, at yeah, first in the spring too, if he's done that, it's still real low compared to the other foot mm-hmm. part, and so they might be comfortable walking through that strip in the middle. Yeah, and still picking stuff and not having to get out there and get wet. So. Yeah, yep. that's good. That's good. Great tip. Yeah. Well, anybody else got anything? We we started off wanting to hit that. Doxy, I'm glad you brought us back to us. Yep. Mike, you got anything? Uh, 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 we we want to remind people to uh, to watch the the, the video uh, one step at a time. Oh, that'll incredible. that'll be incredible. Out, so, but have you got anything else you want to call out? No, except that it's September, and in some areas that means you're already in a tree. That's right. It's go time. Some, some areas, it means you're about to be in a tree. And I've, I've said this on your podcast before, but every time you get to get in a tree, you better soak it up. Yep. That's right. Go down, yep. take a breath, yep. relax, yep. enjoy it. Because before you know it, it'll be over again. And you'll be looking now we'll us, we'll be looking, you know, the turkey season with, with a fervor, but you know, I'll be wanting to climb a tree a week after I can anymore. So, <laughs> you know, Bob Dixon used to always say this was the emotional new year yeah. for hunting. Yes. And it is, you know, the yes. start, finally just a tad bit of cool weather. Yeah. Dove hunters first seasons come in and both seasons right here on us. And some States already come in. We've got this. It's exciting. This weekend's our velvet season here. We hadn't had one, but once it just started that last year. But My it is, and then the other day. that'd be a good you, title for a song, by the but way. But you could live through February because it's a month from turkey season. Yeah. So, My and wife, even my wife said the other day, she said, "You're in a better mood all of a sudden. Yep. <laughs> There's a spring in your step. There's a and I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're running around mm. checking bows, checking this, checking that." getting a blind, getting this, getting that. You haven't slowed down, and you haven't done any work. I, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I resemble that remark. Yeah. So, and what she meant was you haven't – I'm really bad about working all the time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you have, you've been busy all day, and you haven't worked. And that's good to see. That's awesome. For me, it's uh, when you get home from work, it starts getting dark and you start hearing the geese flying over at night. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. it's starting to turn fall. Yeah. Oh, it's just been like an oven. It's so, I hate the late, hot summer. Uh, and then even then walk out in the garage, it 
four in the morning or something. It's just like an oven. And then just in the last week or so, less humidity, crisp. Just I wouldn't say it's cool, but it's such yeah. a relief. Yeah, your pets start getting yeah. frisky. We think and it's cool because it's been so hot. It's just time of year. I live in the edge of town, but you you know it's in the edge. So, but you know I I can go out. Not now, but for the first week, every morning, if I go out right at daylight, you can hear someone in the distance somewhere shooting doves. It started already. So, yeah. mm-hmm. yep. Yep. Love it. Love it. Well, Mike, thank you for joining us. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate you, we Mike. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Always I, fun. I think it is. It, it I, is. I think everybody knows how to follow Mike on uh, social media. And uh, look, I want to thank everybody for listening to our podcast, guys. 100%. We really appreciate that. Yeah. Be sure you subscribe. That helps us. And leave a review. You might win a prize. Mac, thank you for doing your question today. And guys, don't forget Tuesday night's the television show. Last night was Hank Parker. I, I really enjoyed that show. Mm-hmm. Good. That was a good yeah, one. That's good. Mike, did you get a chance to see that? I did not. We're only internet-based stuff now, so it's taken some getting used to. I have to, I have to do some of my TV watching, if you will, at the office. Well, get um, that friendly app. It's six ninety nine, and you get the outdoor channel, and you can watch. I've heard about that. I need to do that. Yeah, it's that. it's really good. You can also watch the Rockford Files. I enjoy that, and and Toxie <laughs> likes Bonanza. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gunsmoke, Gunsmoke as well. Go. So, guys, we really appreciate it. Uh, look, don't. Is there anything I'm forgetting, Mac? I'm looking at you. Seem like I'm I'm forgetting something, but I can't think of what it is. All right, so. Guys, enjoy the season. It's that time of year. Mike, thank you so much. Tox, appreciate you being here. Lanny, did you get to ask enough questions? Yes, I did. Thank okay. you for letting me talk. Here we go. All right. Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.